We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. to say right from the outset of this uh, episode 18 of LSQ, maybe I'm feeling especially reflective because this month is the one-year anniversary of the show, but I had a moment after taping the interview you're about to hear with the fascinating and brilliant David Longstreth of Dirty Projectors, um, which is a conversation we had in late July at my place here in New York, where I thought, I love this podcast. I'm so glad I started doing this because um, it was just my favorite kind of nerdy discussion, as you're about to hear, but also because David is the sort of artist that I've encountered many times in recent years, only for brief periods of time where we've had conversations focused on a specific new album and we've never been able to zoom out. So it was great to get to do that, but also just to nerd out with Dave like about why Jonathan Richmond is awesome, as you'll hear a little farther into the conversation that begins in moments. And where we started was uh, talking about Eau Claire Fest, which Dirty Projectors had just played. That's a festival that the Desner brothers from The National and Justin Vernon of Bonnie Vare have been putting on for a few years now, and which I do really hope to attend next time. Um, and Dirty Projectors, by the way, are on tour right now, if you're listening when this episode has just come out. Uh, they're on the road supporting their excellent new album, Lamplit Prose. And so, yeah, try and get out and see one of those dates if there's still time. Welcome to the LSQ podcast, Dave. Thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, how was the Eau Claire Fest? I know you just played that. and It was awesome. I've never been, but I was having the FOMO. Yeah. Did it, is it as sort of like kind of an idyllic a vibe as the, uh, the collaboration vibe as it as it seems to be? I think so. Yeah, I mean, I would have to say that the FOMO was was probably warranted. Shit. And you should go next year. It was it was really it's really um, an amazing time. I wish I could have been there for the whole like run of it. I was yeah. really just there for my my day, and then I had to go. I had to get back to LA. It was at the tail end of our like larger um tour but um um to play to play it was really really cool like i played in this weird kind of like gazebo in the wood in the woods and it was literally just the audience was like scattered among the trees and sometimes like climbing in the trees and it was just like when have you ever played a, a show like this when has there been an audience like this and so it was really unique. Right. And like, you know, there are so many festivals now 
And, you know, I think people get down on them, maybe kind of rightly, that they're just carbon copies of each other with no actual regional, um, you know, characteristic or differentiation. And so I think that what Justin and the, and the Destners are doing with that, um, building a, a festival that feels like real Wisconsin um, and feels true to, uh, you know, their specific vision of what, what a festival could be. I think that's rare and cool and um and I loved being a part of it and the people that I saw who were there you know as 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 fans and and guests and everything were seemed to be having an awesome time. Um yeah, I saw some I saw some uh some some angst about the festival on the internet afterwards like on Stereogum who I don't think were even there. They like the ang- what was the angst about? I think that it was just about how, you know, they tried something and I guess the thing is, part of the reason that I am wanting to talk about this, and and I actually had Eleanor Friedberger here yesterday, oh, wow. taping a podcast, and cool. we were talking about whether she should get another job, or <laughs> you know, just like whether she needs to get a job, right. you know, to live right. and make enough money to live, kind of thing. Um, and I think about what uh, you know, what the Desners and and Justin Vernon are doing with. Eau Claire and with their like people music collective thing and and those kinds of efforts being to me feeling like in this phase of indie as dreaded a phrase as that might be to utter like it feels really important that artists who have an audience already make moves in the direction of like back in the direction of like this kind of no expectation of profit mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but also no, that, well, no, you know what no, i mean like no, or just like, sort of like well less, we, maybe we got a little maybe we thought something was going to happen that was never really going to happen less for, of an expectation of 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 uh scale you know the, the internet has this concept of like scalability and and um and people real like with the way I think the metrics of the internet work, we really are are um, conditioned to feel that the biggest shit is the best shit, and, and vice versa. Yeah, right. And and to be big is to be important, and is to is to be the best. And like, I think it's exciting that we're back in an era where, like, you know, you might think twice about that. You might that might give you pause and you might be like, Oh, maybe the cool shit is, um, is, is the stuff that, you know, has, has less, uh, glare on it. You right. Know? And maybe it's going to be a little bit harder to understand what's going on at first. But if I invest more time in it, something I get more out of it as yeah. a, as a cultural product or whatever. I think that's cool. I think it's, I feel more comfortable actually in this in this era of it mm. then then when i don't you know then then when i lived in new york yeah well you know we're gonna we're gonna go back and talk about you know some of the all of the things leading up to you putting out music as dirty projectors that cool. like you and i haven't really ever had a chance to talk about in right. terms of your your music and stuff but oh, yeah you know i remember first hearing about dirty projectors when you were playing shows with vampire weekend mm-hmm. you know a bunch of times, right? Early on. Right, right, um, right. And seeing Dirty Projectors and thinking like, this is cool. This is weirder than Vampire Weekend. And I'm stoked that this is what they're presenting when all eyes are on them at this moment is like right. something weirder than them instead of something, well, I don't know. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But then obviously we've lived through an era when stuff is 
unconventional as dirty projectors was able to get to a place commercially that that maybe it was never what you had in mind or never was something would have been a waste of time to even think about. Right. And then once you're there, yes, were you, did you like that? And, you know, once Dirty Projectors had reached the its biggest point, right. what, what did that feel like for you? I mean, it was confu- it was confusing, I guess. And, and also, yeah, I mean, I, I was always just sort of mindful of uh, the, you know, the not the paradox but just the the contradiction of you know this is fundamentally uh i guess kind of like just a personal vision you know vision uh it's hey. not I, i'm not built i'm not th- approaching this as like creating a um scalable a uh, cultural monolith <laughs> you know <laughs> i'm just going where i'm interested in going you know at a given at a given moment so um yeah i mean it's to me it's very it's very natural it, again it's like freeing and i think that even maybe has something to do with or it has enabled me to to um to like make more you know to get back to making more music now so did you yeah. have to at a certain point in recent albums you know including lamplet prose like have to counsel yourself not to let perception of what you should be doing with dirty projectors enter your mind at all or has that never really been a thing you let affect you um i think i'm pretty good at at tuning it out because you know what i don't never know what i'm supposed what i should do what i what i what i'm supposed to be doing that's never that's never clear and i guess i do feel yeah just sort of like if you were to try to do something by the time you finish it the answer about what the right thing was to do is going to be different because it takes a while it takes me a while to um you know produce the shit make mixing takes forever and then the record company always wants like four or five months to set it up so it's like you never know like the world that you're making and maybe this is i don't know if it was always this way or this has something to do with the rate of um you know just like the the speed at which everyone consumes everything now but you know the the world that you make something in is going to be a it's a different world than the world that will even receive it. Right. So, and to me that just, I guess there's something like centering about that. Cause you want to just make something that is going to be legit in, in one season or another. Right. Or, or, or timeless, you know? Right. But I mean, my sense is that you are something of a perfectionist. In addition to the fact that, yeah, shit, labels will make shit take longer and so forth. Like, you know, some some bands are bands that go into the studio, they bang out some stuff and within six months or so it can be they've signed off on it and what the label does from there, whatever. But, you know, that's not me. (laughs) That's not you. Yeah. And so do you mix, you know, and I feel like I should know this already, but do you mix all of the stuff yourself? The last the 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 Lamplit Pros I mixed I mixed it all. Um self-titled I did with Jimmy Douglas. Mm-hmm. Um so we worked in in Miami where his studio is for a couple weeks and then I came back to LA and did a couple more weeks just just myself on it. I mentioned that just because it's a level you know I you know to me represents a level of of control additional level of control not that you wouldn't be sitting there while right. the person is mixing and 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 offering input but like to be like no my hands must do it myself i mean did did you just have you been doing more of that because you wanted additional an additional level of control yeah i mean i get i guess i always enter a, re- a recording 
process being like, I'm not going to mix this one. <laughs> this one, like, I think it's going to be easy to uh, to just, you know, have someone have someone come in at a certain just point. Just stir it up with a wooden spoon a little bit. Yeah, take it away from me. Salad and toss. Yeah, you know? just throw a little olive oil on the top of it and we're good to go here. Um, and it's never it's it's right. never like that. Mixing is always a battle, and it's it's always a different battle every time. And uh, it usually yeah ends with me alone in a room at four in the morning, in the dark, uh, looking at a computer screen. <laughs> 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 That's just how it happens. And this with this one, I just sort of accept, I accepted that from the get go, and um, I it, I thought that it would make it go faster. The problem is like I'm not a technician you know i'm not really a technical thinker and i always just sort of hack toward what i'm looking for and i've learned little tricks and things over the years but it you know i it it all it's it's different every time with this one i actually finished mixing and uh you know i I had a schedule in terms of like okay like you know um we're gonna play some shows in the summertime so it really ought to be done by this time if we're gonna blah 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 uh so i you know finished mixing we got it mastered and i got the test pressings back and robin pecknold um who sings on one of the songs Mm -hmm. had just set up his like super uh hi-fi like a like record play like turn turn (laughs) Uh the table speaker (laughs) situation in his house in la too hi-fi and he was like you gotta come over you gotta come over and like we'll listen to the test pressing it'll be so sweet and so like got the test pressing and I went over there and we like hung out for a bit and like, Oh man, his like, I'm forgetting like the, the whatever, the super <laughs> audiophile like gear. Um, and, uh, you know, we listened to some Curtis Mayfield and it like sounded, the vocal was like floating above our heads and everything. And then we threw on the test pressing for Lamplet pros and it sounded fucking awful. It sounded so shitty. And I was just like, and, Maybe it was just me, but I was just like, oh, my God, there's, like, no air in this room at all. Like, I don't know what this sound is. My right ear hurts. I don't know what's going on. It was terrible. And um, so I remixed the record after that. Wow. Yeah. I I mean, did you feel genuine panic in that moment? Like, did you, you, yeah, did 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 you feel a visceral reaction to, like... Oh, God. Panic, uh, yeah, self-loathing, a sense of, uh, you know, the futility of all, you know, all is striving after wind. Oh, my um, God. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I can, I feel anxious just thinking about <laughs> it, honestly, because I can imagine, I mean, that test pressing, that's a big I know, spin. I mean, that's a big spin it's for, done, for an artist. It has to be done at that point. And also, <laughs> Well, yeah. and you've, I'm guessing you have a thing. You get your, this is not, this is several times into. Of course, David yeah. gets the test pressing, picks a good moment and plays to listen to it to not freak yourself out, right? Right. And so to be, have it freak you out that much. I guess I would say listening right after some, like, Curtis Mayfield, you know, you're. It's almost like Ari is once, but that should sound as good. Fuck, you know what you're doing. You, you can want make it a record to? Sound great. Yeah. No, but wait. To finish the story, <laughs> so I took the, I took, I took it back and I mixed it for two more weeks. And yeah, Domino, like, let me do that. I don't think we even missed a. Maybe we missed one release date, but they were like super on board with like expediting. You know, having to get the the vinyl. You know, the vinyl master over to the 
Oh, yeah, because that the, shit takes a the, while. To the plant and everything. And we were, they went to extraordinary measures not to, loo- not to, not to lose any more time on it. And I, I'm, I'm grateful to them for that. And also, I think that additional time to mix it was crucial. It's weird when you get that late in the process of, ma- of making something, you know, and, you know, like there are so many different ways that it could, you know, you could second guess yourself like, oh, is that was that the right couplet in that in the third verse? You know, Sh- you know, should I have re resung that vocal? You yeah. know, that one had a vibe, but is it technically just like a little too far out? You know, as well as like whatever the myriad decisions you can talk about with mixing, like, oh, the drums are actually like not not loud. Enough. You know, so. Wh- wh- and like so basically like listening to a test pressing, it always is nerve wracking. And that, you know, at that point, sometimes you're just sort of like, ah, oh, well, fuck it. It's done. You know, of course, I'm going to feel like weird about this or that decision. But, you know, it is, you know, I, I, I worked on it for this long. So to actually claim to claim the doubt yeah as the correct feeling felt also a little crazy mm. um but i'm really glad that i did and and the time the time that i took to to address that stuff i think is totally worth it i love the way it sounds now sounds awesome thank you and um i guess all that's just to say yeah mixing is always a battle and you never know where the where the where the battle where the scrimmage will be Right. But I mean, I guess to an extent, it must be that you actually just, you know, you just really like putting yourself in that position of the pressure that you put on yourself to attend to every aspect of it. I mean, you must really, you know, love it if you, I mean, you don't, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> there's a, there's an extent to which it's like, you know, artists who, who can, who can get, uh, lost in the details. Yeah. Um, where it's just like, oh yeah, I can see how if it's that's the most fun thing that you ever do is like making a record that you would never want it to end, and mm. so you would look for ways for it to never be done or something. Right. Well, that's a whole other kind of side of it. No, it's true. Yeah, I mean, well, I love writing music. I love arranging things, and I do love recording. I love the I love the process, and I love the I love some aspect of the duration of it. You know, like you get better with with time or or this time you do it gives you an idea about how to do it next time i love all that stuff the area the the little kind of window into that 11th hour or that 13th hour that we're talking about right now it's pure hell right it sucks yeah, <laughs> yeah. but i don't know why we started there but okay. anyway yeah yeah um so but what was what was the first experience you had making music that you know kind of sparked the feeling you're looking for now when you're doing it and you feel like it's going well and this is why I do this shit kind of thing. What was the first? Yeah, what was the first? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess for me, recording and songwriting have always been wrapped up with each other and also have just been the process. There was never a point when I was like playing music but not writing songs. And I guess I started playing music in order to write songs mm. um and so so at, at what age would that have been that was like eighth grade yeah um and i started a band with my friends called the cartesian divers okay 
And because um, my brother was in a band called Vince, Vince Clortho um, when he was in high school. And they um, he's like five years older than me. And um, shout out, Jake. Yeah. Shout out to Jake. You know, Jake. I do. Yeah. But yeah, so he was in Vince, Vince Clortho. And they got like a Tascam 424, um, which is what you said you had. Oh, I just said I had a Tascam. You oh, you, you inferred from there. Oh, but it okay. is. Okay, cool. For those listening at home, this is a this is like a digital. Um, yeah, it's not a it's not a classic. No, it's cool though. This is cool and probably less labor intensive for, for exactly the, for the transfer. But it doesn't have that cassette warmth. No. Um. Yeah. No, no promo. <laughs> Tas- the Tascam. The Tascam DR40 linear PCM recorder. Check it out. <laughs> Two hundred ninety nine dollars on Amazon Prime. <laughs> not even that expensive. Tight. <laughs> um anyway yeah yeah vince vince clortho the key master of gozer and so they yeah they recorded their album and then i forget exactly i guess he went off to college and he left the four track there and mm. so i sort of took it over and um and so yeah like we we recorded i uh an album you know an album in eighth grade and you played guitar and sang yeah played guitar and drums and bass and and sang and then we played a couple shows. It was, yeah. Right. Yeah. So forming the band and learning to play guitar happened like kind of at the same time. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And what was the, you know, what, yeah, what inspired it? Were there other like kids at school who had bands and it seemed like I want to have my own band or was there music you were hearing that you were like, I must make music or. I think more of that. Yeah. I didn't really like know anybody who was in a band and I wasn't really in our little, you know, town that I. You know, there was a there was no real scene. There were no shows or right. anything like that. And so, and who knows about when you're a little kid? You don't know about show. There may be shows you don't know. You're you know right. twelve or something. Right? Like, Are there any shows in this town? <laughs> <laughs> it's always funny, yeah, when you meet kids who who did have a scene. You know, who were part of a scene like from a really early. I'm so jealous of that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, for me, the music was really wrapped up in recording. It wasn't wrapped up in anything social or anything like, um, yeah, like live or anything like that. Anyway. So yeah, what music were you into at that age that that you were emulating sort of? I think like the Beatles and Pavement. (laughs) What more do you need? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. exactly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, like Westing by Musket and Sexton. Yeah. I loved that record, yeah. Um, and uh, and yeah, I mean that that kind of stuff, you know. And this is and so you had an older brother. Yeah. You have an older brother, and, yeah. And I'm guessing that he made you aware of pavement and and, of and that sort of thing, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I understand, and the, the story goes that you know early on in making music at at college that it that you know recording with your brother is sort of was sort of like a key moment in pushing you forward into into doing that some more i mean do you yeah. do you i know you and your brother are like pals and hang out in la and stuff like that so you're you're obviously friends as well but i mean yeah. do you regard him as being an important oh huge uh, i mean person whose input has been very formative in your musical development he, yeah hugely i mean he's the reason that i that i do this for wow. sure yeah, yeah i don't i think that if not for him and his example and his sort of taste when we were that age and that I was just sort of matching or imprint, you know, imprinted on me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd be doing this. Maybe I'd be doing something else. So 
it's his fault <laughs> for sure um and but we had a band too we had a band called the american people okay um and we made like weird four track albums and stuff as well um and so yeah did the you were you were starting to say earlier about the like back recording process i mean when you were just working with a four track yep. were you immediately intrigued about that aspect of of making a record hugely i mean i loved about the beatles recordings that you know they have this psychological character that's an as that's an aspect of not only the arrangement itself but the way the arrangement is captured the engineering of it and everything and to that you know people not like now that i'm older and learn more or whatever it's like people talk about how those stereo mixes were unsupervised mm. very early primitive stereo mixes the beatles preferred the mono versions or something. i don't even know if that's right. true but even that you know that even that um for me was like really important um and really interesting the the just the collage like character of stuffing a whole drum set just into the left speaker or something like that mm. um and what that did to the feeling of the of the part and everything so yeah i was really really obsessed with would the, you try to figure out weird like just you know macgyver type ways of recording things based on how little you knew then to exactly well what kind of shit would you do to record things to make them sound interesting well i mean there's this book that i've that i've talked about before called revolution in the head Mm -hmm. um by ian mcdonald okay that is um it goes through like every single Beatles song in the order that they were written or that that they were recorded and for me that was like a bible that oh, yeah because just... that's like epistemological at that point because you get to see like exactly the building of what they learned for that time they put this microphone in a jar of water and then they know whether to do that again <laughs> yeah yeah exactly no i mean they did originate a lot of these techniques that became you know standard recording practices and and are still you know are still around today double tracking and flanging phasing um you know using a, a leslie rotary speaker to, anyway whatever um yeah i was kind of like you know the beetle for for most of the beatles recordings they had a four track and i was like well that's what i have a four track and i was i think i was kind of w uh, oblivious or maybe willfully disregarded the difference between what their four track actually was in terms of the you know the inch tape and this team of engineers and right the, all this thing and and like a little you know cassette tascam but uh but so for me it was like really one-to-one -one. it was like okay they they recorded Sgt. Pepper on a four track. Like I can be able, to, I should be able to do anything with this four track and capture anything. And like you know, at that time, because it was literally the late '90s at this yeah. at this point when I was like a teenager, and um, it was like the 20th century. I I was not aware of the Elephant Six um, collective and stuff, but I think that they had a lot of those same. Right. kind of feel you know feelings the the the, the liberation of a of a four track you know the the end the the open canvas the mm -hmm. endlessness of it and so yeah you know i would just like try to um yeah overdub a snare just a separate snare on top of a drum set and do crazy stuff with panning and double tracking and yeah I, I was and so, so did it did it did it at that point already feel like something that you were like, I'm just going to have to keep doing this for the rest of my life now? 
<laughs> I guess I guess so. Yeah, you know, or just like a yeah. sense of like this. I this is a thing I'm gonna always do now. I think so. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'm trying to think if there are other, other. Or did you contemplate like I should learn how to do something else that will be? Or yeah, I mean, I guess you can always do it in the background. You know, the, right. The, I I am curious when you decided to like focus, you know, all of your efforts toward making music and 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 didn't care about plan B anymore. Right. Um yeah, cuz for a lot of high school I I think that recording took a took a back burner. I would do it like on school vacations and stuff, but I was like obsessed with school academics and mm-hmm. and writing and and everything. Um but uh I think in co- in college maybe because I didn't really like college and um, I spent a lot of time alone. And uh, and I think that that's when I started to, well, maybe also before that, because I took a year between finishing high school and, and going to college. And I'm, and I like moved out to Portland mm-hmm. um, where my brother was uh, going, you know, had finished college or was going to college and Portland really blew me away. This is like the year 2000. Right. And, um, yeah. you know, it's just like indie pop and like Magic Marker Records and like The Glow Part 2. And that was a world, you know, just like people writing songs and performing them for each other, like in a, in a living room show mm-hmm. on a Thursday night. And the, the, the kind of like purity of that or the, the simplicity of that seemed really exciting to me. And to me also, like I never, yeah, I don't think of myself as like a technical music person at all. And, you know, I identify with, with like the, the punk feeling that, or the, you know, the punk axiom of like expression over, over, over tech technique you know i think that that a feeling will find a way you mm-hmm. know and if you if the opposite if you have like you know technical ability or something it doesn't start with that it starts right. it starts with a feeling but i kept on just being curious about music like how do you do how do you how do you get that effect mm-hmm. you know what is that instrument uh a hammond organ like what is what what is a b3 you know mm-hmm. what is that style of string writing, like, what is that? Right. This kind of thing. And so I, I ended up, like, studying a lot of music. And, um, Meaning, like, after this trip to Portland. No, 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 like, oh. sorry, before, oh. like, in high school. Oh, in high school, okay. And so, and to, and, but, like, to think about, like, the, um, I mean, this is so, this is such a, a, like, a funny, and I guess in its way, like, teenage thought, but, you know, you think about these, like, salons, in the in the 19th century that like where like Chopin would like premiere his like music in a living room you know and people just hanging out and I saw a parallel there with what things were like in in Portland yeah you know just people having an idea and making it happen on a small scale and and it's an idea that's for the community that they live in in a very local way and not unlike Eau Claire Exactly. We're bringing it back. <laughs> no, it's it's true. And actually that's what's more exciting again about now. Um is this idea of a of a com- you know, a community. And so yeah, I think that that was pretty that was So the, that sort of put you re re re-sparked your interest in just being something to, that like no, okay, don't don't sideline this. I can 
I can make music a priority and this is a that's the kind of world I could put it in. Yes. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Y- your music dirty Dirty Projectors music has often been described as like experimental rock band Dirty Projectors which right. doesn't seem quite right to me. Um I mean all recording is experimental, I guess to 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 an extent. Right. But Obviously, there are some unconventional and challenging. I think challenging is the way I like to think of a lot of the music that I like, I guess. It's just that yeah. well, it's not obvious, and so therefore it's a little more difficult to penetrate or wrap your head around or figure out what it's doing or what it's trying to do or what it's doing to you. But but that's not really experimental in nature. But I would right. say that you know, obviously there are a lot of different influences besides the Beatles and pavement at play in the music that you're making. <laughs> Pretty much just Beatles and pavement. And so I wonder when you were starting to record and starting to find the sound of Dirty Projectors, what are some of the artists or albums you you kind of looked to for positive reinforcement that like, no, the, the, these are, this is a good guiding light for making difficult music. Right. Um, yeah, no... <laughs> That's true. I haven't really thought about that, like, experimental. Like, where did that come from? When did people start saying that? And what did they mean at first, you know? If it's, like, some sort of vestigial term that, like, doesn't really address, like, what, you know, the whatever is at hand. Kind of like indie, you know? Like, what what does that mean? What did it first address? Experimental. Yeah. So crazy. I mean, the um, only thing I can think of is like almost like things like, like in industrial early industrial music, where like you know Einstein's and Neubauten or something, where you're like, we built ex- a metal cage, we built a metal cage, and we're gonna see what sounds it makes, and we're gonna bang on it. Like that seems <laughs> like kind of experimental. Right. We've set out certain parameters, <laughs> and we will record the way they interact with one another. And no matter what, we're releasing it. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's sort of. I th- in response to the second half of the, the question, um, like who were the touchstones? Um, and like maybe like you're maybe it's like when you know do, like what's the lineage or yeah, how, I, what made yeah. you delve into sort of more more uh, challenging ways of executing your songs? I think that it was. Um, I don't know. I think that I think like an early thing in in Portland it was just the the com- you know the community around you know that was that i you know that i knew um like uh kyle fields music mm-hmm. um and uh the music of uh chris adolph um the love letter band did you ever hear them I he lived in so. he lived he lives even now in denver mm. um and he and i did some tours together like really early on and um you know i think i think a lot of that music is, you know, they call it like twee. It's, but it it's emphasizes, for me, it's all about, you know, yeah, like that feeling of like playing in a living room and you're there with, you know, 12 people and three other people. There. Is Jonathan Richmond twee? Oh man, I'm so glad you brought him up because we saw, he played in New York like a couple months ago. Because mm-hmm. here's the thing, and here's maybe why I'm stumbling with your question. Like, I don't know if I really like, I never properly like had uh i don't know like that the the i don't know a lot about like the new york like 
no way and all of this stuff i don't know a lot of those things can i don't really care about right you know that kind of things but okay so and i I never really had a modern lovers phase but i you know i ended up getting somewhat dragged to this jonathan richmond show at the kitchen like a couple maybe it was six months ago or something like that and it blew me away it was like the best show i've ever seen (laughs) i seriously think it was the best show i've ever seen (laughs) And yeah, he's amazing. It, and it was just him with a nylon string acoustic and his drummer. Tommy. Tommy yeah. the drummer. Yeah. And just like singing and dancing and playing and telling S- stories. Singing in different languages. And- yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, oh my God. It was, <laughs> it, was so, it was so amazing. And it's like, and it's also like seeing the original thing of something that I was, yeah, like that, <laughs> that, that. that I was inhabiting like something that came that came out of that, right. you know, and I recognized that at that Jonathan Richmond show. And also, you know, what a beautiful voice and the, the lyrics are so great. Oh, yeah. And it was just so moving and, and like, um, like, I don't know, this is a hokey word, maybe, but like humanist. Right. You came away feeling good to be a human and invested in in. Um, in uh, the arc of, of human uh, civilization on Earth, <laughs> hopeful about it. Yeah. And um, yeah, wow, was, that was an amazing, yeah. amazing so show. So, did you have you been listening to more of his music since then, or some of the or a, list, looking for the songs he bit. played? And Wait, stuff? where do I start? Where should what? Where where do I? Well, I yeah. I Jonathan, I comma Jonathan is the is like great, and I'm gonna just send you some. Wow. But yeah, I mean, is that twee? Like, I guess I feel like twee, right. I feel like the term twee has come back. I mean, this is a tangent and a half, but yeah. I feel like the term twee has started to be used again a lot more to describe uh-huh. things that like my concept of twee is much more twee than that. Like, right, you know, like stuff in the '90s on like you know K records kind yeah. of things that are just very like, very twee. floaty and, and even like Bell and Sebastian. I get that that's like. Right. That that's what twee is. Because twee, as a pejorative, it means, like, precious. Yeah. Right? Um, exactly. And uh, overly kind of, like, supercilious or something? I think it's the fact that it's, too, yeah, it's too cutesy. Right. It's too, yeah, it's yeah. too cutesy. Or, yeah. like, if to say that it's ballless is a, a pejorative. Balls. Yeah. Yeah. You know? It has no bottom end in in a way, you know. I was right. like, is that what people mean by twee now? Is just that there's no because I haven't seen. I don't know what you're talking about. The resurgence of it, like who is that? Who who do they? they... I don't know. I feel like the millennials use twee to reference things that are not like as twee as what I think of, and it seems like people oh, okay. consider it a pejorative. But you know, uh-huh. it's, it's weird how that happens with like you know emo's a pejorative or whatever. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it's just like what, what, this is arbitrary. But it's also just one of the most popular um, New York Times crossword hints. So. I mean, it's an interesting segue because I one of the things I did want to ask you about okay. is, you know, I think that people uh, think of Dirty Projectors as, even though everything you've said about not being like a technical dude, as being music that is where, where all of the parts are well appointed in, a, you know, in a way yeah. that I guess if there's a, if there are diametric opposites is the opposite of emo or something, you know, or is the opposite of th- something that's based that's on, pu- formal. on pure. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's formal right. versus visceral or something like that. But right. I wonder when you're, especially in the earliest phases of working on a song, to what extent making music is like a uh, pure emotional outlet for you. And, yeah. you know, I know obviously the self-titled album, the album before this one was like an album that had a lot of heavy thoughts on it that, 
seemed like the kind of thing that you were like, I just want to put these songs out. These are, let's get those out. Cause mm-hmm. that had, these songs had to exist for me as a person, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but it's not as clear el- elsewhere in the dirty projectors catalog where, which songs are songs that felt like you had an emotional need to make them. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. So I wonder, does making music in a way that you can feel serve like an emotional need for you? We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's nothing if it's not uh, coming from feeling and going toward feeling. Do you feel like you learn things about how you're feeling by writing songs? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes I'm unaware until it shows up in a in a song, right. you know, or I realize it after the recording is done. Oh, that's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there's a lot of layers to things and I think some aspect of the form the form you know the formalism or something you're talking about comes from me just want um you know yeah um making sure that it's it speaks it's art articulate mm-hmm. you know and maybe as we're I'm just thinking about this because this is what you opened with and it's an exciting idea to me but just like maybe that's less important maybe being coherent is a little bit less important now if the community is smaller you can shorthand things i don't know because now now that this thing is out it's like what's next for me so i feel like what yeah i don't know but obviously now you you have the opportunity to do to apply your making music to other projects right i know i mean we're gonna get into territory that i don't I don't really, I don't know the answers for, so right. I'm about to get real, even less articulate. Than, right, right. Than I I've mean, been. I guess I'm just curious if but, there's a general category well, of like scoring films. No, or, no, no. I mean, know. yeah, yeah. So like, I guess that's what I was going to say. It's like part of, I think what it's been about for me is taking things from all these different fields and all these like disparate media and genres and stuff and imagining that the, it all lives together, you know, the scored music inhabits the same world as this you know sequenced beat and you know the this choral singing also absolutely belongs on top of this so it's really putting everything together as opposed to having a more orderly sense of like well i do scored music (laughs) i have a project in which i sing and play the guitar (laughs) i write choral music as well you know it's, it's sort of all one yeah for me um in a way that sometimes feels over you know sometimes i am like whoa is that is this just compressed to this density that's just actually not even coherent like at all sometimes i feel that way nonetheless i it feels i don't know anticlimactic to be like oh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna do this scored music for my friend's film now. I don't know. I, but it's what yeah. you're saying, though, what you're saying before about, like, maybe it doesn't have to be as coherent nowadays, and it doesn't, you don't have to figure out what the next phase is, and 
if it's smaller scale than whatever. I just think that like, you know, it's interesting to notice artists um, reach a place where they realize that everything they're doing is indeed a piece of the same thing and it doesn't and that they don't have to try and I'll try and be more commercial when I write for other artists and I'll try and whatever that is just if you're lucky enough to get to be a working artist that 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 you've gotten here by by doing what comes naturally to you and that maybe yeah trying to formalize what it is too much is just like um losing sight of what you have already you know which is just Mm -hmm. that like audiences that are open to whatever the fuck you're you do next even if it's whatever it combines or something. Right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like so lucky and, and bewildered um, to, to you know, to be able to, to do this and, and, and inhabit this place. And, and, um, and yeah, like we just finished um, like an American tour, you know, last week or the week before or something. And it was the first Dirty Projectors tour in like forever. And I think I had forgotten like how, how fun it is to go on tour and how um how like that really feels like something to to get to connect with people and have people there and how special that is and how incredibly insanely lucky uh i i i am um to 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 have that and and to be able to share with people like that um it was just it was really really special it really turned me around so really um yeah where however this album was going to be received i was just sort of like that tour was was it for me that was it was it was really an amazing experience um and uh yeah i mean that's a little bit of an aside but you know also coming off of what you're what you were saying like um i also love the idea of like translating one thing into another so maybe something started life as a string quartet idea but now, hey, there's six of us on stage and none of us is a string player, but how can we render this with mm-hmm. voices? How can we render this with, with guitar, you know, with guitars? And that continual translation of just sort of one idea morphing into another and morphing into another is something that I love about this. But it's another, it's another, um, nail in the coffin of having sort of discrete uh outlets for me but that being said you know i would love to i want i do want to make a straight up opera and i do want to make a a a science fiction musical film Mm -hmm. and uh and uh you know like a proper um sort of like string orchestra piece and uh, yeah and like a proper like guitar vocal right you know i do want to i do want to do all these things (laughs) but they all just end up falling together on top of each other well life is long hopefully right we can hope yeah um yeah yeah i know and that's a that's a beautiful idea like damn i had i had the feeling actually oh man watching um paul mccartney on on james corden Mm -hmm. the carpool karaoke i suddenly had the feeling and I can't believe I never really thought about this before, but just like maybe life is just short. Like even if it's long, maybe it's just short and may, like you can get to that place where you're 70, whatever. And you're just sort of like every day is like, oh yeah, I, we finally got to the, this place, but you know, I still want to do that and that and that. And that was like, 
You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's an apt apt note to close on. Yeah. Maybe it'll it'll feel long for our listeners, but that's (laughs) blue by for us. All right. Well, that's about it for episode 18 of LSQ. Thanks again to David Longstreth for coming to visit me and for such a sweet conversation. There's no archive clip in this episode, you guys. I'm sorry, slash, there's only so many hours in the day. But I will have episode 19 of the show in a few weeks for you, and it features, uh, actually, you heard us reference it, um, Eleanor Friedberger. So that's coming out in a few weeks. And then in December, an episode with Kristen Control. But I'll remind you again. And, you know, when you want to share feedback on the show or if you've got a question or a suggestion for someone you think I should have as a guest, you can reach me with that sort of thing on Twitter, at Jenny LSQ. Thanks so much for listening. 